it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Special thanks to everyone who uh, came out in Charlotte at Barnes and Noble. Fantastic. And then in Kentucky uh, at the bookstore there. And then Friday night, WHIO listeners, everyone in Dayton, Ohio was just great. Talking about Teddy and Booker T, which you could still get and get it for Christmas. Uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com and get it personalized. It goes to my local Barnes & Noble. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by John Rennish. He's a Democratic strategist. And in studio, we have Congressman Ryan Zinke, Appropriations Committee, co-chair of the Northern Border Security Caucus and member of the U.S. Joint Commission on China. And there's a breaking news on that, too. So before we get to the congressman who's in studio, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Go back to August. Before any of the Republican debates happened, Donald Trump was in the low 50s. Four debates later, after having not attended any of those debates, he's in the high 50s. The other candidates all stuck there in either the low double digits or mired in the single digits. 2024, more brutal polls for Biden and Nikki Haley trounces Joe, but not Donald in CNN's poll. We look at the Biden's game plan as he fans out to Hollywood and Philadelphia. Number two. The president of Harvard asked point blank, is wanting to kill all the Jews in the world and chanting that against your code of conduct? And she can't answer the question? Yeah, that's shocking. Yep. uh, And so therefore, Barstool's Dave Portnoy won't hire them. Any graduates from Harvard, anti-Semitism on campuses exposed and ultra left wing practices in the college curriculum unmasked. This is the Zoom moment for higher education. We bring you in the uh, we bring you in the line of fire. Number one, we have gone from one to two thousand encounters, illegal encounters at the border a day. Now we're seeing ten to twelve thousand a day. As Pennsylvania Senator uh, John Fetterman said, we're basically seeing Pittsburgh show up at the border every month. That is uh, Senator Mitt Romney holding the line, the GOP demanding the White House implement massive border reform and money before giving aid to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. As much as I support that aid, I do understand that Republicans need to use maximum leverage to fix that border for every reason possible. Congressman Ryan Zinke, former Secretary of the Interior, great to see you again. Hey, great to be with you as always. Say, I like that you guys are using this leverage on the border. I like that you're not just saying, give me more money. You're saying, you got to change the asylum rules. Well, and we got to stop rolling over, right? Use the power of the purse. When I came in, two things. One, curb the spending. Use the power of the purse to get rid of the woke. And, and I think, you know, the border, you know, Ukraine, you see it on a TV. You see, you see news. But you see the border every day, whether you're in Billings, we New do, York. We do. We show. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you see it at the, at, the, at the grocery store. You see the effects. All of a sudden, you know, small-town America, big-town America, you have drug trafficking, sex trafficking, you know, you, know, you know, a lot of wrongdoing. And it's because we don't have a border. We just don't. We have a dotted line. But, you know, there's some statistics in there. We could have 50 million illegal immigrants in this country, 50 million, 5-0. We could because we don't know. 
We don't know, and he doesn't seem to care. I never saw a president not care who comes into their country. But President Obama deported a lot of people. President Clinton deported a lot of people. They, everyone is on record saying we have to patrol our border. What happened? Well, you have, you have some significant changes in policy. Uh, number one, remember process in third country. Uh, we just send it back in Mexico yeah. or something. The first country you walk into, that's where you apply to come in. That's right. And and, and now you're inside, and, and basically you're given a writ. Uh, I am here for asylum. You get a court date years, years from now. You, you know that 99% aren't, aren't going to show up. So they're in. And all of a sudden when they're in, what do they do? Some of them work. A lot of them work. But a lot of them work in, in mischievous ways because you, you do look at either our gangs, sex trafficking, child trafficking, drug trafficking, fentanyl. So, you know, interior of our border, you know, we got to protect ourselves. And, and, you know, America first means protect our border first. So right now we have the Republicans on the Senate side. Mitch McConnell say, I agree with you on the border. We got to get something. So Lankford's negotiating, we believe, with Murphy and eventually with the president this week. Here's what he said about what's going on at the border uh, cut six. You take any year during the Obama administration, we've had more people cross illegally just October, November, and December so far this year than we had in any year in the Obama administration. So this is not a matter of just let's yeah. turn it down a little bit. We've got to figure out how to be able to manage this. The first things first is asylum. Right now, people come in and say, I want to request asylum. There's so many people, and the cartels know it, and the smugglers know it, that they can throw thousands of people a day. There's no way to process that. Mm -hmm. And so it's years before they're processed, so they're just released in the country. I thought that the becomes White House a pull was factor for on... more. It's unbelievable. Well, and, and so how do we get out of this box? Uh, number one, we need to empower our Border Patrol to do their job. You need more of them, too. Uh, more of them, but you know, also the esprit de corps. You know, look, their job right now, they're, they're, they're an attendant. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not patrol. And look, the, the long history of, of wonderful service. We need to support and uh, make sure they can do their job. Secondly, we need to make sure ICE can do their job. This idea that sanctuary cities, somehow you have bases in the U.S. where from there drug cartels can operate with impunity. Mm -hmm. That's got to stop. Uh, and then process in third country. And there's this little thing called the wall. Uh, you know, it works. It works. You you lock your door at night. The Vatican locks their doors at night. Walls work. And when we don't have we don't have a wall, we, we have penetration across the board. And then, you know, you can use technology on, on the border where you have uh, the maritime port facilities and those type of things. Yes, um, but a wall is helpful and policy behind it. And you got to support the troops in the front line. So you're at an impasse. You have a week to get this done. Everyone goes on vacation. So it's Taiwan, Ukraine, and Israel. Uh, here's what Chris Murphy said, cut eight. He's a Republican, Democratic senator who's negotiating with Langford, cut eight. First, I think it's absolutely tragic that Republicans are tying the resolution of maybe the most difficult issue in American politics, immigration, um, to support for Ukraine and Israel. Vladimir Putin is delighting right now in Republicans' insistence that we get a deal on immigration reform. And if we don't, then they are going to allow Vladimir Putin to march into Ukraine and perhaps into Europe. I think this is one of the most dangerous moments that I've ever faced in American politics, and I wish Republicans weren't holding Israel aid and aid to Ukraine hostage to the resolution of immigration reform. Cut through that. that means, cut. Well, you know, what I, I'd say is, hey, how about the Democrats do their job? How about Biden administration do their job and protect the border? Right. But clearly they're not doing it. They you know, dismantled ICE. Well, and I, I, I had a border about stopping uh, refugees, stopping uh, those that have a a passport issued by the Palestinian Authority to enter in the U.S. because this administration 
doesn't vet people. They're incapable of vetting people, beginning with Afghanistan. Remember the C-17 run down the yeah, runway? Sure. You know, I looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, there's people hanging on to it. And another question I had is, who's on that airplane? Then you look at our border. There's hundreds of people on the terrorist watch list that we're apprehending. And letting go inside the country. How crazy is that? And then our northern border. I mean, I, I look at that. You know, Montana's got a huge border, the northern border. It's wide open. And, you know, southern border might have someone, but, but the northern border is wide open. You can just walk across. And, you know, Canada has a much more liberal program than we do on, on visas. So people come here on, on a Canadian visa and then just walk across the border. Right. Uh, you know, un, undisturbed. And, look, our border is, is – a nation can't exist without a border. Congressman Zinke, what is the last thing that was in front of you? Have you looked at what they're coming with the negotiating in the Senate at all to get a heads up on what's going to hit you guys? Well, I have, and um, I'm focused up front on the NDA, which is disappointing. But, uh, you know, a continuing resolution is no way to run a railroad and no way to run a government. So a continuing resolution, what it does is it has the same policy, same spending, it just kicks it. And I can tell you the problem with Congress that I've seen is we learned how to punt. And and we punt uh, sometimes on first down, and sometimes you got to stick stick in the ground. And say, you know what? On on our border for our country, this is our front side focus. But it's so important that we continue to take down the Russians through Ukraine. They're fighting literally for their sovereignty. It's so important that we just show a stick to itiveness when it comes to Israel, and they definitely need some armaments. And I would love to see Taiwan get what they paid for in terms of missile defense and offensive weaponry to stop an invasion. J.D. Vance is among the many Republicans, it seems, that does not see merit in the Ukraine mission. Cut to. Really all we're doing is putting out the welcome mat for him to then invade a country that is in the NATO alliance, such as Poland. So there's two reasons I don't buy this. First of all, Putin has showed he's much weaker than a lot of people feared. The Ukrainians have fought bravely. They've also stalled Putin at a very small amount of territorial gain relative to the entire country. The idea that he can march to Poland or Berlin is preposterous. And the other thing that this really misses here is we have to remember our NATO allies, with the exception of a few Eastern Europeans, are not carrying their fair share of the burden. Most of them don't even spend 2% of their GDP on defense. Well, that's true on the GDP with NATO, but Poland's not that case. We're not saying Poland and Germany. I'm saying Estonia, Lithuania, I'm saying Moldova, finish off Georgia, and then pan a big, a, a big hit somewhere. And they're going to rebuild and recalibrate. And they're absorbing the natural resources of these countries. Well, not only have we had the capability to build, rebuild, but the battlefield itself has changed. You know, the conventional power that we saw with tanks is somewhat Uh, is now at risk because we have drone warfare and and the technology in the battlefield has changed. Right before our eyes, right? Like an analogy to when the machine gun was was introduced in the battlefield, now you have drones, you have multiple drones. So the the technology, and Russia's receiving (laughs) some of the technology, believe it or not, from Iran on there. So I I do think Russia uh, continues to be a threat. Do you support accountability but supporting the Ukrainian fighting force. I absolutely support you know, giving them what they need. But when you say give them, it has to be with a, with a tether, right? We have to have clarity sure. on mission, clarity on objectives. You know, uh, I've, I've heard the administration express, you know, the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, you, you know, you start, stand down and look at There's been 14 wars, I think, fought over the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, but this administration owes the, owes the, U, the U.S. Congress, and it owes us, 
a clear defined, this is our objectives, this is our plan, and this is the resources we need, well, need to do Well, I think the goal to was it. to see what Ukraine could do uh, in the counteroffensive, see what's possible, because they were beating in almost every battle. The Russians have gotten better in real time, but the Ukrainians, through drone uh, warfare, have forced the Russian Navy out of Crimea. Pretty astounding. Well, and and you look on the on the front line. I mean, and now the you know, troops in the open are, are subject to to targeting. Uh, so yes, drones have absolutely right. changed it. Uh, Ukraine, there's objectives I think we all agree on. Is one Russia right. has to be defeated in Ukraine itself. Uh, uh, I think their their march in 2020 that territory should be should be pushed back, and and it, it couldn't, shouldn't be spilling out to you know further uh, NATO countries. You know, it could spell out regionally. And you look overall, right, the U.S., our defense is configured for one regional conflict and hold in another. So now what we have is we, we're, we're burdened down into, into yeah. Ukraine by supplying ammunition. We have now Israel on file, fire in the Middle East. We have strain with the Houthis firing missiles in, in the Red right. Sea. And then we're pressed on the Pacific. So, you know, people know that, including China, Russia, right. and Iran. It bothers me so much that uh, that Russia enjoy, is enjoying the Hamas attack and the reaction to it because they say it gets the heat off them in the Ukraine war. How we were all set to put to the Pacific, switch to the Pacific again, and China gets what they want again. So it bothers me. I don't know what the alternative was, but it bothers me that we're singing their tune. When we're seeing our assets become thinner and thinner and thinner, things like artillery shells, you know, torpedoes, the things that you need for sustained combat. Right. You know, now those stockpiles are, are d- diminishing greatly, you know, our missile strikes. And, and our opposition uh, knows when I say our opposition, our adversary, in some cases our enemies know it. And they're straining our mm-hmm. ability to defend. Again, we're, we're, our defense is configured for one regional conflict at one time, we now have two miners and, and possibly the Pacific. Uh, you know, we're, we're stretched. And a lot of it we're stretched because our allies don't trust us in would, many cases and our enemies don't fear us. Would Congressman Zinke be interested in going back? Should Donald Trump win? Would he go back as Secretary of the Interior or Secretary of the Army? Or, well, you know, I, I met with the, no, with the no, president about, recently. No, and, i tell you what, we're going to wait that down to tease. Right. When we come back, Congressman Zinke answers that and more. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. I want to talk domestic politics because uh, Brian Zinke went from the Montana, uh, representing Montana in the House of Representatives, to joining Donald Trump in his administration of, as Secretary of the Interior for three years, was it? Yep. Three uh, years. Two years. Two years. Tell so, you, he was a great boss. Up, up front, I enjoyed working. And you just talked to him. Would you be one of the people that would go back? Uh, if he wins? Well, I think all of us uh, 
in, in leadership will go to where the, the, you know, the sound of the guns is, is what the SEALs, you know, often use. You go where you can be most effective. At, at the moment, uh, I'm effective. I said in appropriations, I think we all understand the, the scale of our financial difficulties. I think it's fixable, but it's going to take courage. Yeah, but with the, with the president, you know, again, I enjoyed working uh, for him. He's, he's a great boss. He, he holds people accountable. And how I dealt with it is I had him sign an executive order, and, and those were my charter, and I followed it. And uh, if you had a question on it, sometimes at 2 or 30 in the morning, he'd call me. He, he, he was not shy uh, about, about asking the question. But I thought, he was, as, as a boss goes, he, he was great. I focused on policy. And interior is important. I think defense is important. The Navy is important. Our country is important. So. so would you be secretary of the Navy? Would you be secretary of the Army? Uh, you know, I'll I'll go where I can be most effective. Right. Uh, but they know. went after you. When you work for Trump, oh. they go after your background. They go after you personally. And How did was, you deal with that? Well, you know, and, and I understood they were really focused on President Trump, but they were, you know, all of us in the, in the cabinet would get deflected and get hits you know, because they were going after the president through me. You know, it's, it is vicious uh, on there. I guess, you know, politics is a... You know, as a blood sport, and the opposition lies. They lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, we need to hold them accountable as, as well. But, you know, I, I think a lot of it is duty first, country, duty honor. Um, and if you, f- you focus on uh, on, on that, you know, we'll, we'll see. One is a, my, my task is to get President Trump uh, elected. That means uh, Western views, make sure, he's, make sure people Do understand. Do you think he thinks he's going to win? I I absolutely uh, believe that he believes that he's going to win. I think he will win. I think at, at this point in time, uh, President Trump is as much of a movement as is a candidate. And I mean, that's why are, the other candidates don't seem to be getting traction. Yeah. Nikki Haley and Nikki Haley is yeah, fine. I, I I know them both. They're they're fa- fine people. Um, but I, um, but I think the level of frustration, uh, we can't get anything done. Are our allies don't trust us. Our leadership abroad is at question. Domestically, our energy is upside down. Gas should be two bucks a gallon, and we should be manufacturing this country. And we see it just fall apart in chunks. On and, purpose. And, yeah, and, and some people you know, would, would find President uh, Trump's personality to be you know, a little hard to swallow sometimes, but, but most people would his policy. And look, I focus on policy and getting things done. And as far as getting things done, as an example, you know, on energy, you know, we were, what, 8.3 million barrels a day when I came in as secretary. In two short years, we were 12.5 million barrels a day, the world's largest export of energy. But we also lowered emissions because no one does it better. Right. So both environment and energy, we were number one. 20 seconds, Guyana, Venezuela is moving on Guyana, who had the biggest oil discovery, I think, over the last 50 years. We, well, we have, they have no army. They're asking for our help. Should we help? From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, the Marines have been there before. I think I think we should commit. Absolutely. Look, Monroe Doctrine. It, Monroe Doctrine is both sides, right? An obligation on our our side, responsibility. Congressman Ryan Zinke, thank you. God bless. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go back to August. Before any of the Republican debates happened, Donald Trump was in the low 50s. Four debates later, after having not attended any of those debates, he's in the high 50s. The other candidates all stuck there in either the low double digits or mired in the single digits without a lot of motion for any of them, despite the fact 
that a bunch of candidates dropped out. This field winnowed a lot faster than most people thought it would. And that is Rick Klein, ABC political director, just talking about the astounding situation we're looking at right now. Nikki Haley, not within 20 points of Trump in most states and not in the national poll, but beating in the last poll from the Wall Street Journal, Joe Biden by 17. John Rennish is a Democratic strategist, knows all about this weird calculus that we're in the midst of now. John, what do, what do the Democrats think about what they're up against? Well, I, I, th- I think that there is um, some concern. I mean, if, if you look at the data and the, the polls at this point are showing a pretty clear and kind of solidifying picture that heading into 2024, um, though he has the power of incumbency, though I think there's ladders out of this underdog status, the president's an underdog at the moment. Um, you know, the hope would be that that will mo- solidify, unite, and, motiv- and you know, motivate Democrats to really reengage the way that they did in 2018, 2020, and then in you know many, many off-year uh, and, and, and local elections in which they excelled, including against a lot of odds. But the president's the underdog going in. Yeah, right now uh, they looked at the Wall Street Journal poll, and if everybody's in this race that's rumored to be in, uh, it's Donald Trump with 37, Joe Biden with 31, RFK Jr. 8, Manchin 3, Cornell West 3, Jill Stein, some other uh, Lars Mapstead, whatever, with one. So if that all happens, that's not good for Joe Biden. Head-to-head, he loses by five. That's not good for Joe Biden. As I mentioned, 17. He's got 27% approval on securing the border. Seven in 10 Americans disapprove of his handling of the economy. And now you look at the CNN poll today. He's losing by 10 in Michigan and by, I think, five in Georgia. So when you look yeah. at these polls, you can't say, well, that, no, I don't like that poll. Well, you don't like any poll. If you like some of yeah, them, one of them's got to be right. Right. I, and look, I mean, obviously, this is one and lost less at the national level and more in, you know, five or six states, but the president's got some ground to make up. Now, the good news is, is the Democrats recently have been doing really well in those states. You mentioned Michigan um, in in an election in which if we were in more normal times, the party in power would have been losing gubernatorial, state legislative, congressional elections, uh, ballot referenda that are democratically aligned. They're not. They're doing really well. But Biden himself needs to make up ground. Now, luckily, he's got some really powerful, very popular allies um, on the ground in places like Michigan, other locations, Pennsylvania, et cetera, thinking of some really popular governors that are rising stars in their party. So, look, it's going to be a coalition to reelect this president, and I think there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to help bring him over the finish line, but they really have their work cut out for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's going to be interesting. I'll tell you, this is what I saw. There's going to be this strategy. You tell me if this sounds correct. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're going to say that the Republicans are going to cut your uh, going to cut your entitlements. Uh, Social Security. You already heard Donald Trump mention, I think, clumsily Obamacare. Uh, yeah. And they're going to say that they're also going to say they're the party of the rich. Remember, last time they had a tax cut was for the rich, which is really sure. not accurate. But that's what they're going to say. And they're going to draw a lesson from Bill Clinton in 96. Uh, He says at the time he was against the right-wing leadership in the House. That was Newt Gingrich. And stress how Mm -hmm. he stopped the GOP cuts to Medicare, Medicaid, education, and environment. So you could easily say, look, the chaos in the House. They kicked out Kevin McCarthy for no reason. They didn't get anything done for 22 days. So you could run against all this stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I mean, you, you make a good point. And, it, and it's not just Kevin McCarthy, 22 days, multiple speakers, et cetera. You know, uh, the Democrats will be, you can be sure Biden will be, but also this is going to filter down to, um, you know, specific local races. I'm going to look really closely what happens in the race to uh, replace George Santos. That is going to be a bellwether. Republicans already stumbling to find a candidate there. Uh, a lot of vetting problems. Um, that I think is really going to dispirit the local party. But that's a suburban bellwether if Tom Swazi, as he's expected to, um, you know, that field is already pretty much cleared. If, if Swazi is victorious in what, you know, we anticipate is going to be a special here in about three months, um, that's going to be a very big bellwether. You, you, you make a good point, Brian, though, to point to the issues and also to point to history. Uh, Trump handed Joe Biden a probably the most potent talking point of all, or one of them, where he very stupidly, using your words, very clumsily stumbled into what I think a lot of Republicans had really wished was a settled issue. And that's health care. That's Obamacare. It's popular. People are using right. it. People are saving money. But, um, but John, it is. But just keep in mind, it is, and we, don't, we do know it's December, and Owen Trump, we won't mention again. Here's the reason what's happening right now is that people look at the border and they say there's yep. no way you could possibly say that it was ever that bad with Trump. And then when you say, well, you know, the separation of families, that lasted three, four weeks, and everybody admits it was an overreaction and it didn't work. But then you have 80,000 kids, we, unaccompanied minors. We don't even know where they are. Yeah. And then you have the situation no, look- overseas. So, uh, and, and what I find interesting is that mm-hmm. the fracturing of the Democratic Party over an issue not over a phrase, not over a program, over an issue, and that's yeah. Israel. And when you yeah. see Josh Shapiro taking on his own party, like Bernie Sanders and others, uh, and the squad, not just saying, yeah. well, I, do I vote differently, but going out and run rallies against the current president, Hillary Clinton right. pushing back against people that want to uh, take both sides of the Israel issue and says, no, you're on the wrong sure. side. That's something that was unforeseen. I, I, I think that's exactly right. It it. it is unforeseen. What I thought was really interesting, Brian, over the last week is that, you know, in this Republican-led, led by Elise Stefanik, uh, who just handled the issue so deftly during that House hearing of those spineless, hapless, um, you know, twisting themselves into lawyerly knots to be politically correct, um, those college presidents, she handled that well. But what you really saw that was most interesting to me is that um, Democrats were really in, in, in lockstep with, with, with what happened there. You mentioned Josh Shapiro, um, obviously a rising star in the party. Many see him as potentially the country's first Jewish president. Um, so, you know, uh, looking on down the line. So, look, I, I think that there is, though, a um, wedge between where some Democratic voters are, though I would mostly put them in the, in the minority. Um, I think mainstream Democrats are certainly united um, on a bipartisan basis mm-hmm. or around this solution. But you're going to see that this is going to be an issue, though I, I doubt, and you and I have talked about this before, Brian, I, I don't think that you're going to see come election time that these kids are, quote, single-issue voters on Palestine. Um, there's a lot more that they care about that they will be on the side of. But the so far they've been dis- disillusioned by President uh, Biden, and now he's still trying to wedge in this uh, unconstitutional student loan reform. I don't know if they're going to do cars next uh, or refinancing, uh, I, I guess, so find a way to do that. So a couple of things. Mm-hmm. When you look at 
when you look at what this administration wants to do when it comes to colleges, the Republicans for the longest time have said these liberal biased campuses have produced yep. all these left wing uh, left wing activists. And rep- mm-hmm. and they said every time Democrats go, no, that's you and your culture war. That's you and your culture war. Then this happened and they find themselves just as angry as Republicans and just to, just as stunned that this is going on. And you wonder who it's his curriculum. And by the way, who's financing this? Who are your right, donors? Right. So I, so they're both on the same page, I believe, outside the squad. Uh, listen to what Elise Stefanik says is next. Cut 12. Sure. Federal funds are pouring into these universities, which we're going to defund higher ed institutions if they allow anti-Semitism to promulgate. But this congressional investigation, which was announced by the Republican chairwoman this past week at my urging, we are not going to hesitate to subpoena communications, documents, all aspects of how these schools and others have mismanaged this crisis that has been growing for years. So now they have a partner to a degree on campuses. But I also want to know, and by the way, we're talking to Democratic strategist John Rennish. John, I also want to know where the foreign money is coming from. Why is Qatar the number yeah. one finance? Why are they pouring money into our colleges? Why do they care about our colleges? Why does China pour money into the University of Pennsylvania? And what do they, what do they want in return? Well, you are asking the questions of the day, and so is Elise Stefanik, but also so are Democrats, Jared Moskowitz, many, many others. I want to know that we need legislation, not just investigation, we need legislation to track foreign donations, including and especially from the Middle East in the billions that have flowed onto American excuse me, college campuses, especially elite high-end Ivy League colleges for years. Where has that money gone? Where is it coming from? What strings are attached? So this is something that has long been talked about. I will give credit where it's due, far more in conservative circles than in others. But I think you're seeing um, that this is going to be a bipartisan effort. People want to know where is our taxpayer money going to fund these radicalized professors, programs, student groups on campuses. But more importantly even than that, that our own taxpayer money, is where is foreign money coming in? You have to disclose money if you give it to a nonprofit, a political campaign. Why should academia be any different? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And uh, that and between China buying far, uh, land right next to our military bases and buying up our farms. These are bipartisan issues that we yeah. got to start getting to get. We've got to start smartening up. we got to take but a look at TikTok, what, take a look at the university. Yep. A little unity around these issues. And I think both, both you and I are talking in this direction. Some unity around this issue serves two purposes. One, it gets the American people to coalesce around what matters to everybody, but it also gives a lot more um, momentum to important legislation to succeed. Absolutely. And I I don't mind the Republicans using this leverage as much as I think uh, Israel needs our aid, Ukraine needs our aid, Taiwan needs to get what they've already paid for. I do like that Republicans are being smart about it. you got to fix the border. And I'm not talking about more tents. I'm talking about asylum issues. I I think, you know, I I am hoping, you know, uh, a Democratic senator over the weekend, I'm thinking maybe it was Chris Coons, but I can't exactly remember the coverage that I read, um, was saying to at least get a down payment 
on bipartisan agreement around the border. And I think, look, you, you and I both know that anything that is going to be effective, anything that's going to be lasting, anything that's going to mm. you know, not be subject to political vicissitudes is going to have to be bipartisan. But to your point, Democrats have to get serious and Democrats have to focus on the border. People do want to make sure that we are safe and that our allies are safe, our bases, our right. economies are safe overseas, but we got to deal with our own border, too. And that's where voters are. I'm really hoping everyone gets to the table and stays there. We need those strong solutions. And it's not even my opinion or yours, John. The 27% of the American people approve of his border policies. 27%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Republicans could be helping him out, uh, ironically enough, by making by changing some asylum rules. I mean, look, every solution has to be on, on the table. We've got to tighten that up. We've got to be smart mm-hmm. about that. It is where voters are. I think the White House and the campaign realize that. I'm really, hope, really hoping that they lean into, look, you have to walk and chew gum at the same time, and you've got to listen to where security experts and voters are. I'm hoping that that accelerates. Go get them. John, uh, John thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Thanks, Brian. Talk you, to you soon. You got it. one 408 People say, wow. Uh, how do you take this every day over and over again? I love this. This is fantastic. This is strategies as well as policy. So not you're not just saying things for a 30-second ad. You could actually do something on those three conflicts, but one in Taiwan is potential conflict, and the border. Wouldn't it be great to get something done right before Christmas? Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. A federal indictment issued this week against Hunter Biden alleges that he evaded paying over a million dollars of taxes between 2016 and 2020. The indictment claims that instead of paying taxes, Hunter Biden spent his money on drugs and escorts. But honestly, it would have been more surprising if he remembered to do his taxes during that time. (laughs) No one finishes doing cocaine with a hooker and is like, could I get a receipt? Speak for yourself. (laughs) If convicted, Hunter Biden could be sentenced to up to 17 years in prison which would be the first time any Biden has successfully completed a sentence. Well, that's kind of interesting. That was pretty good, right? But that whole cold open, did you guys see the cold open? Erica Pete, it was so ridiculous. I heard they were very soft on the college. Presidents. Yeah, they made Elise Stefanik be an absolute moron, as if she was the problem. I mean, instead of the, the school presidents being the problem, punting when it comes to his anti-Semitism bad, the funny part was Keenan Thompson was he was from the University of Phoenix online school. That was hysterical, as usual. I think that guy is absolutely awesome. But if we could pull that, if we have a chance, that to me is funny. Uh, but the rest of his stuff, it was jaw-droppingly tone deaf. And you wonder if they just care more about politics than they do about comedy. I mean, here's a little. Chairwoman. Now, I'm going to start screaming questions at these women like I'm Billy Eichner. Anti-Semitism, yay or nay? I'm sorry, what? Yes or no is calling for the genocide of Jews against the Code of Conduct for Harvard. Well, it depends on the context. <gasps> what? <laughs> that can't be your answer, you pen lady. Same question, yes or no. 
Well, we are serious about stopping all forms of hatred, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. The second one, MIT lady, Chance to Steal. And keep in mind, if you don't say yes, you're going to make me look good, which is really, really hard to do. So I'll ask you straight up. Do you think genocide is bad? See what I'm talking about? I mean, you. there's no Just humor not funny. in there. Yeah, and, and by the way, you're taking a shot at her. There's times when lawmakers make an ass of themselves. There's nobody. You just heard John. She did a fantastic John Reinish, a Democratic strategist. She did a fantastic job. Everybody said she did a fantastic job. So why is that comedy? You there's, no me? Com- there's no comedy. And there was you could have just this could have been a great segment. Not only could they could have made it funny going after the university professors, they could have made a they could have made a poignant point. They refuse oh, yeah. to, and they have to use it. It was, it was worse than partisan politics. It's worse than when they make fun of Donald Trump in a mean-spirited way. This, there is no justification for this. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, of course, I didn't watch it. I mean, between going to Dayton with the great uh, listeners from WHIO, which just a fantastic event, and Saturday, Kentucky was great, and then Sunday, going to Charlotte, North Carolina, I had I wasn't by any TVs to listen to some uh, some uh, on uh, on satellite radio, but just hearing that I go wow that's interesting they had so much to choose from I wonder if it'd be good because we also did over the weekend on One Nation look back on when sitcoms were funny when the creator of the Jefferson Sanford and Son passed away as well as uh, All in the Family and they just did political humor. They, they made Archie Bunker who he was, and they made uh, George Jefferson who he was, and the humor is off the charts funny and would be totally unacceptable today. But it's still extremely funny because you laugh at how biased they are. But I thought that moved us further along than this. This is partisan politics. And I don't know. Uh, are their ratings? Their ratings are still not terrible, even though there's really nobody in the cast. There's no Adam Sandler there. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This hour, we're going to be joined by Garrett Ventry. He's the founder and president of GRV Strategies, a former senior advisor to Senator Chuck Grassley. Really has a handle on where the Republicans are going. And so it's getting really exciting now. No more can they tell us, oh, just wait. Wait till after the midterms. Okay. Uh, the off-year elections. Okay. Uh, wait to, uh, wait to, we have the debates. Okay. Wait, now we're ready. We're weeks from Iowa. Then the, after that, will be right away, will be New Hampshire. Then will be South Carolina, Nevada, and Super Tuesday. So no longer reason to dismiss every poll. We really have a trend right now, and it's not going good for uh, for the current president of the United States, but things could change quickly. Uh, also, special thanks to everyone at WHIO who came out, all the listeners who came over the weekend, Kentucky as well as Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, talking about Teddy and Booker T., uh, two American icons, plays the path to racial equality. Still have a little bit of time to go get the book before the holidays and get it personalized right on my website. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Go back to August. Before any of the Republican debates happened, Donald Trump was in the low 50s. Four debates later, after having not attended any of those debates, he's in the high 50s. The other candidates all stuck there in either the low double digits or mired in the single digits. Yep, uh, that's what's going on. Uh, That is Rick Klein of ABC 2024. 
more brutal polls for Joe Biden as Nikki Haley trounces Joe by 17 points. But but not Donald in CNN's poll. Uh, you don't see Nikki Haley beating Joe Biden, but you do see Nikki Haley. You see Nikki Haley beating Joe Biden, but not Donald Trump. Uh, we look at the Biden game plan to try to get back some traction as he goes to Hollywood and today Philadelphia. Number two. The president of Harvard asked point blank, is wanting to kill all the Jews in the world and chanting that against your code of conduct and she can't answer the question? Yeah, that's shocking. <laughs> Dave Portnoy weighing in. Anti-Semitism on campuses exposed and ultra left wing practices on the college curriculum unmasked. This is the Zoom moment for higher education. We'll bring you the latest. Number one. We have gone from one to two thousand encounters, illegal encounters at the border a day. Now we're seeing ten to twelve thousand a day. As Pennsylvania's Senator uh, John Fetterman said, we're basically seeing Pittsburgh show up at the border every month. <laughs> uh, Mitt Romney's right on the money, holding the line. The GOP demanding the White House implement massive border reform and money before giving any money to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan. I support Taiwan. I support aid to everybody. But I love that the GOP is leveraging this to do something the whole country should need, and that is border security. I 100% agree. Hey, guys and ladies, hold the line. Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist. Uh, and he wrote over the weekend about what he saw and what we all witnessed, that horror show by these elite presidents of these elite universities and how tone deaf they were and how the president of the University of Pennsylvania lost a job. But, Michael, first things first, I like that the Republicans are holding the line on border security. It is a five-alarm fire down there. Nobody could say it's secure. Do you like that? I do, Brian, and I think the the logic that they've used to make this case is really compelling, which is that we are giving money to Ukraine to reinforce its war uh, over its border, right? So we're going to take care of Ukraine's border. We're going to give Israel money uh, to secure its security. Um, And yet we, in, in our own country, have an open border. Anybody can come in, no matter what they want to do in America. And we don't even know who these people are. I mean, I think one of the great fallacies of this whole policy is that when people come across uh, and uh, claim asylum and they are given a court date eight or nine years later, we don't really know who they are. There's no vetting of these people. Just because they surrendered and were effectively arrested and given a court date, that doesn't mean we know anything about them. So they they may be just as uh, have just as uh, bad ideas for what they want to do here as the so-called gotaways, the people who don't stop at the border and talk to the agents and surrender to the agents. There are there are more than a million of those. So when you put it all together. I mean, something like six, six and a half, maybe seven million people even have come across during the Biden tenure. And we know very little about most of them, sometimes next to nothing other than a name that they give us. They may not have ID. It may be fake ID. These families that so-called come, we don't know if these children are being trafficked. We don't know anything. And, And 
what's amazing is how little President Biden has actually said about it. He doesn't hold press conferences, of course, and when he does, there are always lots of issues, but he almost never publicly says anything about the border. It's, 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 and by the way, he doesn't talk about Ukraine. Make the case. He just says you should do it, and, and that's not going to be enough. We wait on Lindsey Graham to make the case, General Jack Keane to make the case. Uh, here's Senator Langford. He's uh, as honest as the day is long. You know, KRMG is our great affiliate over in Oklahoma, and he represents them. Obviously, we were there. We go to see him. The respect he has from that community is off the charts. And he's now negotiating with the White, trying to get the White House involved on this. Here's what he said. Cut six. You take any year during the Obama administration, we've had more people cross illegally just October, November, and December so far this year than we had in any year in the Obama administration. So this is not a matter of just let's turn it down a little bit. We've got to figure out how to be able to manage this. The first things first is asylum. Right now, people come in and say, I want to request asylum. There's so many people, and the cartels know it, and the smugglers know it, that they can throw thousands of people a day. There's no way to process that. Mm-hmm. And so it's years before they're processed, so they're just released in the country. I thought that the becomes White House a pull was factor for on- more. So they are, they are trying to get something done, but the White House says, we don't want to do massive reform. We've got to do that legislation. He goes, no, we've got to immediately have a threshold, for example, a trigger threshold. When you hit a certain number, everybody goes out. Nobody's allowed in, period. We have to start sending the message, you can't come here. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it should never have gotten to this point, right, Brian? I mean, that Biden, there was a system under Trump that had flaws, but it was an improvement over what he inherited. What Biden did was dismantle the improvements that Trump imposed, such as remain in Mexico. Um, and instead, you got this flood. And I'll never forget, Brian, you, you go back to the beginning of this when the numbers really started surging soon after Biden took office. And there were lots of interviews with the people who came across by by media. And you would often hear things like, well, Biden told us to come, or Biden said, you know, we should come. Biden said it was open. Biden said it was good. Biden invited us. That's the message they heard. And they apparently still continue to hear that message because they keep coming. But here's the thing. So in our country, the split 50-50, as usual, 45%. 45% are happy. Only 27% are happy with his his border policy. So what are you talking about? Don't even tell me you're adhering to the extreme left and that that works politically for you. But I want to jog over, if I can, and talk about something else very noteworthy that happened last week. We watched the exchange with Elise Stefanik and others, uh, Congressman Banks, and these heads of the MIT, University of Pennsylvania, as well as Harvard, and hear them just say, acting different when it comes to anti-Semitism on the campus. We know that Liz McGill has now lost her job at the University of Pennsylvania as president, but she still gets to be a tenured professor. What do you think, what do you hope comes out of this? Well, look, I, I, I think the the real objective here, Brian, is not so much replacing individuals, which is which is important, but it, it's not the it's not the solution to the problem, unless you have the, these entire universities refocused on the job of merit and on the job of academic achievement, and to get out of the the politics of race. The social agenda, those trigger warnings, safe spaces, all of that kind of stuff that has become the reason that these places exist. I mean, the the diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion agendas, uh, these are now huge bureaucracies at these places. And uh, 
for for your listeners who would be interested, Fareed Zakaria on Twitter uh, used his CNN program over the weekend to deliver a really stinging and insightful rebuke of these colleges, how they just lost the plot about excellence and merit. And he said uh, any white man uh, wanting to teach and study the history of the American presidency cannot get a cannot get a job in any major college campus today. I mean that is an Insane. incredible indictment of the racism being practiced under the guise of diversity. But do you think that the, you know there's one of these Heritage Foundation officers came out and said this is the Zoom moment that when we found out as parents. What was really going on in schools where the parents stood up and demanded school choice and demanded a curriculum change, accountability, and less anti-Americanism? Is this the Zoom moment for colleges that we're finally getting – we're finally stopping in awe of the Ivy League education and we're going to start saying that now it's going to be a negative unless something changes? Well, look, uh, a couple of things. I mean, we should hope so, right? We should hope that this is a is a change, a moment of change, one of those clarifying moments that there's a before and a departure uh, that m- marks the after. Uh, look, I, I think it will happen. The, the donors, the donors withholding their money is a big event in a lot of these colleges, but it won't be enough alone because they have huge endowments. These populars. These big, the big Ivies in particular, they have huge endowments, so they could weather that storm for a few years. The real issue is when parents will say, uh, that's not the kind of place where I want my child to go. When that happens in, in enough uh, places of really smart, academically uh, achieved children, when, when that becomes a common reaction to these schools, then these schools will either have to reform themselves or they will wither on the vine. There will always be a Harvard. There will always be a Yale. But the question is, will they attract the best and the brightest? And I think unless they reform themselves, parents are going to say, that's not the kind of education I want to pay $75,000 for, or even if it's free. I don't want my kid indoctrinated with leftist agenda. I don't want my kid worried about DEI, worried about transgenderism, fighting for safe spaces, shutting down conservative viewpoints. I want a real education that challenges my child. When Harvard and Yale can no longer give that, when people recognize that's not what's going on there, then I think those schools will either be forced to uh, reform or they will decline uh, in a slow but painful way that will show they they are not what they used to be. All right. So the other thing would be stopping where we find out where this money's coming from. Are they coming from Qatar? Is it coming from China? We need to know. This guy, John Ellis, was on with Mark Levin last night. He's a UC Santa Clara professor. Right. Uh, here's what he said, cut 19. Now that's broken down completely. The radicals are in charge, and the radicals are, have seized control of the appointment committees for administrators. So now college administrators, whose job was quality control, they're now, in fact, quite different. They're now, they're now, their job now is to protect the radical faculty. They are extensions of the radicals. So that anyone who says to you, well, why don't we have the administrators Get a grip of this situation. No, no, no. The, those administrators are creatures of the radicals now. They are licensed by the radicals 
to protect the radicals. So that's what people are finding. What I hope is just going to be a massive exposure. Final thought on this, Michael, that people are going to start maybe giving woke grades to schools as well as – uh, as well as academic right? acceptance? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, look, uh, I, I write in my column Sunday, Brian, about the, a book called Tenured Radicals, written in 1990 by a man named Roger Kimball, whom I interviewed for the column. And that's how far back this goes, that we are now talking – we're now into the fourth decade of this kind of thing that John Ellis was talking about, the radicals who run the place. So when 500 uh, – uh, instructors and professors at Harvard support the president, we shouldn't say, oh, boy, well, we can trust those. Those 500 are part of the same system that created her and elevated her, who's clearly unqualified. So I think that it's a long it's a long slog back, but we have to start now, and we are starting now. I just think we all need to keep paying attention, and, and parents and donors are equally important at getting this ball moving forward. Thanks so much, Michael Goodwin. Appreciate it. New York Post. Uh, follow you, him at mgoodwin underscore NY Post. Thanks, Michael. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 Just got to remind you. Friday and Saturday, Fox Nation Tour continues. I'm going to be live on stage in Holland, Michigan on Saturday, and on Friday I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Just go to BrianKilme.com, get tickets. It's motivational, inspirational. There's also a free uh, book comes with Teddy and Booker T, comes with every ticket, and it's going to be specialed with Fox Nation. Go on stage. If you're looking for a night where I can go through my books, have a good time, uh, talk about what's happening in the news in a live unscripted situation. This is it. The last two of the year, Friday and Saturday night. Just go to BrianKillMe.com and get some tickets. See you there. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. You know, the anti-Semitism is raging. We talk about college campuses, and I'm more than happy to talk about that. But you should know it's still going on in Congress. You'd think initially that Rashida Tlaib was exposed by coming out and talking about the Palestinians. You know, there's all types of rumors that she's involved with Hamas. But I have not got confirmation on that. But she certainly seems like it. And now that the uh, Israelis are getting the Hamas soldiers to basically salute and uh, surrender in mass. Uh, Rashida Tlaib is digging in even more. Listen to this. Cut 10. President Biden, I say this over and over again because I hope you hear me. You must must listen to the voices of the majority of Americans and the majority of Democrats who work their butt off to get you elected. You have to represent all of us Mr. President, not just some. Call for a ceasefire now. Yeah. There shouldn't be a ceasefire. There should never shouldn't be a ceasefire as long as Hamas is still intact. Because we're gonna be back here in two years. I don't I don't know what she's I know what she's talking about. She has no interest in Israel being there. All she has, and that's her heritage, is a, a, a heart for the Palestinians. What she wants is real leadership. She should be calling for real leadership of the Palestinians to represent their future and let those streets be paved with gold instead of being paved with missiles and rockets. Of all people, Bernie Sanders feels differently. Cut 14. 
I strongly support and wish and hope that the United States will support the United Nations resolution that was vetoed, that we vetoed the other day. That was a humanitarian pause, a humanitarian ceasefire that would have, by the way, called for the release of all of the hostages held by Hamas and would have allowed the UN and other agencies to begin to supply the enormous amount of humanitarian aid that mm-hmm. the Palestinian people. In terms of a permanent ceasefire, I don't know how you can have a permanent ceasefire. Can't. And I give him credit for that. And by the way, just to finish up, December 17th, my last stop, Wichita, Kansas. KQAM listeners, I want to see you all in person. That's the 17th, 12 to 4. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's not about fitness. I think he's fit to be president. It should he be president. I don't think he should be president. You know, I thought he was the right president at the right time. I agreed with a lot of his policies. The problem is, you see, our country is in disarray. Our world is on fire. And you can't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And Donald Trump brings us chaos. That is Nikki Haley, as direct as she's going to be. I don't hate Donald Trump. I just think I'm a better choice now, which is her saying, true, I'm not saying she's not telling the truth, but I have to find a way to get the nomination and get Trump voters with me. And so far, I'm surging, but only to a degree because Trump voters have not left Trump. How you do this, I don't think I've ever seen it done before or if it's possible. Garrett Ventry joins us now, founder and president of GRV Strategies and former senior advisor to Senator Chuck Crassley. Garrett, is it possible to do what DeSantis and Nikki Haley are trying to do, and that's beat Trump without alienating Trump voters? Hey, Brian, it's great to be back with you. Thank you for having me. The short answer to that question is over the last year, we've just seen that the answer to that is no, right? If you look at the polling and the data here, Trump continues to run away with the nomination. He's up 30 points today in a poll in Iowa. Haley's kind of stayed stagnant at 16. DeSantis moved up three points to 19, but Trump is at 51 points, and he's moved up eight points since the last time this poll was conducted. And so you're seeing here in a crowded field still, he has the most dominant lead in Iowa that they've ever seen in that poll. And that's just not even any in the Iowa caucuses. If you look nationally, he's up you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60 points. So the short answer to your question is that's what they have to do. The problem is it appears there is no lane to do that. Voters are committed to President Trump, and he just has a grasp over the Republican Party right now, and it's very tough to crack through, even for impressive candidates like Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. So then you have Chris Christie who just says, uh, Trump's the worst. Liz Cheney, Trump's the worst. Uh, That doesn't work either. Yeah, that's the uh, kicking and screaming strategy to try and get a contributorship at MSNBC, I guess, post uh, whatever they're doing. But. That's just, you know, the base is not there. Those folks just do not understand what Republican voters want right now. And what Republican voters want is they want President Trump. They want President Trump's policies, whether that's at the border, whether that's with the economy, and whether that's with all the issues we have on going across uh, the world right now in terms of Israel, Ukraine, China, a number of those issues where, the, where folks just felt more safe and more prosperous under President Trump. So here's the issue. Head-to-head Trump has beat Biden the last five polls. He In the CNN poll yesterday, he beats him in Michigan by 10 and 5 in Georgia. 
All right. Well, you put Nikki Haley against Biden. Haley by 17. Now break that down. Yeah, I think a couple things here. Nikki Haley um, certainly has a case to make that she's an impressive general election candidate. She, uh, you know, appeals to a, a broad range of people. She has fresh leadership to an extent here, I think, that a lot of people like. The issue here, though, is you've got to remember uh, right now, Democrats have thrown the kitchen sink at Donald Trump. You have four indictments. You have them spending millions of dollars against him already. Joe Biden is in the DNC. When that happens, uh, you know, races tighten. The Democrats aren't spending a dime right now against Nikki Haley. The, that lead, if she were to get the nomination, would shrink immediately when the money starts to be spent against you in these states. So I think she has an impressive uh, you know, track record and those type of things. But Donald Trump has taken four indictments. He's taking millions of dollars of ads. He had four years in office, and he's still defeating Joe Biden with all of those things here very impressively in those early states, like you pointed out, and then nationally in Wall Street Journal and a number of other polls here that we've seen, too. I want you to hear what Rick Klein said after the debates. Cut 21. Our polling with, with our partners at 538, uh, Ipsos and The Washington Post, did show some clear winners and losers out of this debate and several of the debates. The latest debate, 30% of people thought that Ron DeSantis had the best performance. Another 23% said the same about Nikki Haley. So it is for second place right now, right? Absolutely. If you look at every poll here, again, it's a back and forth, and those two are throwing haymakers and spending against one another, right? Their super PACs are spending against one another right now. They're, they're really doing that. It really only benefits Donald Trump at this point, right? He continues to, again, you know, dominate in the early states by over 30 points, dominate nationally by 50 points. Those two have to make the case here because what they're doing here, and they're running out of time, right? I mean, the Iowa caucuses you know, about a month away here. And so you're you're kind of running out of time here to, to gain traction. But they've got to make the case here that they can beat Donald Trump, and they've got to do that with donors. They've got to be able to do that with voters as well. And so they're going to continue to go back and forth here. The issue that both of them have here, again, they're very impressive candidates. She was impressive as a U.N. ambassador, impressive as a governor. Ron DeSantis was a very impressive governor as well. The issue that they have is that these voters are just locked in with Donald Trump. Have you ever seen anything like it? Have you ever, Garrett, have I'm you not, ever I'm seen not, anything I'm like not. it? I have not. I mean, I was, I was with President Trump in New York on Saturday when he was speaking at the Young Republican Gala, and he said something that he's the only guy who can get indicted four times and goes up in the polls, right? That's never been seen before. Usually you get indicted, you go down to a 20% approval rating. He's, you know, not only winning in the GOP primary, Brian, which is impressive enough, he's beating Joe Biden head to head in a number of these polls as well. And so I've never seen anything like that. I would just say this real quick. is I think the autopsy of every GOP campaign that challenged Donald Trump will be this. It's very simple. They thought there was a lane to defeat Donald Trump. There just simply isn't one. All right. Here, here's the, the, the thing that is not unlikely, that he gets convicted of something uh, out of the four 91 charges and four indictments. And then there is a poll that says uh, 47% would change their vote if he was indicted. And that's pretty significant. And that's why the other two and maybe three are hanging around. I think so. But if your entire campaign strategy is you got to hope that your opponent goes to jail, it's not really a great campaign strategy. But it's but. never been so real. <laughs> and and yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just playing this out because I'm trying to think May. I'm trying to think June, right before the convention. You hear this indictment come down. There's nothing that will come out in the trial that will change anybody's mind. I'm convinced of that. But the actual verdict, and I'm not talking about the people that were in the room in New York City Saturday night because I heard it was a great event. He had a great speech. But I'm talking about the people that are undecided 
persuadable and the and the suburban housewives? Sure. I think a, a couple things here. Real quick, CNN had a survey in Michigan that came out, and you know, 46 percent said it would, should disqualify him from president if he's convicted, right? Uh, 39% said it's not relevant, and 14% said it would cast doubt but not disqualify. So you have a majority who essentially are saying this is not a disqualifying thing for presidents. So that's number one. That's where voters are on that. I think number two is, you know, this is all baked in at this point here. You see that these indictments, they thought it would happen with the indictments, that it would take him down. I think a conviction, a lot of people see this. They're in their corners. They see it as very partisan. And we could go through the facts on this. I mean, again, you're talking about Jack Smith launched his investigation three days after Trump decided he was going to run for president again. They had two years to charge him with a lot of these things. So it looks overtly political. So I think Trump's team has a case there. And the third thing, again, head to head against Joe Biden here, you're talking about a bad economy. You're talking about a president who looks very old. A lot of Democrats are questioning his ability to do the job. And so everything that's going on in the world here, whether it's the open border, inflation, the economy, uh, I think it's going to be tough for him to make a case against Donald Trump. And I think at the end of the day, whether or not he gets convicted, I think voters will still still go to President Trump here based on those type of factors. So so the other thing would be is uh, not only is he going to be going through all this legal stuff, what they're trying to do already is make him going to be the guy that's going to overthrow democracy, become a uh, be a fascist, be a dictator. And it's the end. This is the last election. He will not leave after four years. Now, you almost want to laugh, but then when right. you flip the channels, which I do, I flip, yeah. I want to find out what's going on. This is nonstop, and we're 11 months out. I worry about people believing that. Instead of saying who's the best president, like we always said before, Bob Dole, Bill Clinton, right. make a decision. Oh, he's going to cut Social Security. No, I'm not. Uh, they, they're going to get rid of uh, uh, Medicaid. No, I'm not. Okay, we go back. Well, but that's hard enough to disseminate. But now it's going to get rid of democracy, and after the president acted the way he did after he lost last time, they will have a lot of cops coming out there and a lot of Republicans coming out there saying, and a lot of former people like General Mattis perhaps and General Kelly saying that's exactly what will happen. What what are the ramifications of that? Yeah, I think, listen, this is what they said in 2016 about him too, right? And I don't think that's – you know, I mean, obviously they're saying it more so now. I think if you take a step back and you look at this here and you say who's playing the dictator game, there is a – you know, current president and current Department of Justice under the Biden regime that has not only indicted his political opponent four times, which is absolutely unprecedented here. You're talking about he's gone after Catholics. He's gone after parents at school board meetings. They've hired an army of 87,000 IRS agents to spy on people's Venmo transactions for 600 bucks or less. I mean, this is, again, mm-hmm. if you look at where President Trump was in here, I mean, look about it. President Trump won in 2016. He did not press charges against Hillary Clinton. Okay? He didn't press charges against Barack Obama. DOJ didn't go after their political opponents. We have seen that happen twice here, and it's been bookend with President Trump. Obama spied in his campaign, and Biden's trying to throw him in jail here. So if, you, if the American people want to look at who's acted more like a dictator, I would absolutely say that Biden uh, certainly looks more like it than President Trump. Uh, Garrett, what about the Senate itself? Uh, we know that West Virginia looks like a layup to be Governor Justice, be Senator Justice. It looks like that you have Sheehy uh, looks pretty strong in Montana to flip that seat. I think you'd be crazy to rule out Dave McCormick being able to do something in Pennsylvania, but that's not a given. Uh, What do you, how do you see the Senate going? So I'd say the seats that are obviously the, you know, I think everybody and my friends at the NRSC and Senate leadership fund probably are, 
you know, going to throw a party every weekend now that Joe Manchin's retired because that's locked down in West Virginia. I would argue, obviously, Montana is a very uh, good pickup here. You know, Sheehy's a strong candidate, and, uh, you know, Tester's a very popular senator. He's going to have a war chest, so it's going to be a tough race. But, you know, Steve Daines, the NRC chairman, is also from Montana. I think they're going to invest a lot of money there. I would argue outside of West Virginia, though, Pennsylvania is obviously a very strong pickup. McCormick's an impressive candidate. But someone who you interviewed last week, Carrie Lake, I think is actually running a very, very strong race. You're talking about she's got strong answers on the border, strong answers on inflation, and probably the best answer of any Republican candidate I've seen this cycle on the abortion question. And so I think she's someone who's running against, it could be a three-way or a two-way, but I think she has a strong case to make, especially because President Trump is performing so well in Arizona. Uh, it's going to be, I think she will really be the second most competitive race when it's all said and done. So very interesting. I also think Rogers got a legitimate shot in Michigan, but I would say this yeah, about, they, they say about Kari Lake, that how do you get moderates to her? And we know that a lot of, there's a lot of people that are undecided, mm-hmm. independents, in Arizona, we know the conservatives love her, but what about the sure. moderates? Yes, I think the moderates. Listen, there's going to be this could be a head-to-head race or it could be a three-way race. Depending on that, there's different dynamics here. I think the thing that uh, Carrie Lake has going for her is this. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about Cinema being a moderate, but she votes with Biden when she became an independent, according to 538, that tracks this kind of stuff 100 percent of the time. It's very tough to say someone who had tried to impeach, who had tried to convict President Trump twice on impeachable offenses. Uh, voted against his border wall repeatedly, uh, is a moderate. And then Ruben Gallego is, you know, as far to the left as they come. This is a guy who, you know, also voted against President Trump's border wall. He supported sanctuary cities. I mean, he's an absolute lunatic. So I think the more and more she's talking about the economy, inflation, the border, mm-hmm. giving strong, very uh, considered answers on abortion, and the more and more she's pointing out Gallego and Cinema's record in terms of rubber stamping Joe Biden – that will help chip away at a lot of the independent voters. Hey, Gary, cinema would have been a lot tougher. She left the party. She's independent without a foundation. So if she stays right. in, it's really going to hurt uh, Gallego. There's no doubt about it. Gary Ventry, yep, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great insight. Thank you, Brian. All right, one 408 7669 we come back, we'll expand on this 2024 talk. It's really exciting. Also, you, you would wait in. He's, got, he's a deep thinker, really knows, understands his politics. You're not going to believe what he had to say about the rest of the GOP field. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the best interest of the country that the president step aside because he really will not finish another term. He's he's infirm, and I've said that repeatedly. That doesn't mean... He's got dementia or Alzheimer's. He's, he's old and he's aged. And that means President Harris. And I think that scares me quite a lot, especially after a performance in uh, the United Arab Emirates this past week. So here's what I, I think the president's got to figure out is how to get out and how to get out in such a way that Kamala Harris doesn't become the automatic nominee. And that is the window that's closing on him. He's really got very little time to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, too. Uh He's got to get out or get out now. I just don't see any way he gets out. Why would you go 3,000 miles over to California if you want to get out? Why would you go to Philadelphia today if you want, didn't want to get out? Why would you be going through all these uh, gymnastics to stay in if you want to get out? I mean, you would have – for a while I thought if he's going to get out, you don't want to say too early. Reading about Teddy Roosevelt, biggest regret he had when he won election – 
because he was named after McKinley was there, so he's there for three and three-quarter years. So he could have run again. Plus, there was no rule yet that you can't run more than two terms. So he said as soon as he won, he goes, listen, I'm going to stay with what Washington did. I'm not going to run again. Everyone shut him off. Everyone started looking for the next president. That moment, he said, biggest regret he had. And then he went through the period of saying, I can't go back on my word. So that's what I thought that maybe Joe Biden was doing. I'm going to play it out for a while because I don't want to be a lame duck president earlier than I have to be. But now I wouldn't say it's done, but it's beyond the fact that this could be a pot and a plan. Nobody, if, if this is a pot and plan, nobody's in on it because nobody's moving. I mean, you would hear words about a super PAC form, uh, forming with Whitmer. You'd hear more than Senator Fetterman calling out Gavin Newsom for saying you're basically running a shadow president and have the guts just come out. You're not seeing it. So I think the guy is running. Here's more from you, you, what he told me on Saturday night on One Nation, Cut 28. They are counting on new people coming to the Iowa caucuses, new voters in New Hampshire and independents in New Hampshire to dent the what seems almost irresistible momentum of the former president. And it's possible. It's not impossible because he is under 50 percent. Former President Trump is under 50 percent in both Iowa and New Hampshire. So it's not impossible. But I'll tell you what is impossible. Unless the field gets down to one person other than Donald Trump. And let's put Vivek aside because he's just not a serious player. But that either has to be either Governor DeSantis or Ambassador Haley or it's over with a capital O. And going head to head, you've got to be wondering, you know, what would stop outside a court case? What would stop him? You know, what really bothers me most? Jack Smith is unbelievably aggressive. He sees his whole future in this the same way you, you saw all these other lawyers with the Mueller report outside Robert Mueller, who clearly was just a figurehead. Why is Jack Smith so, in such a rush? Why does he care? If it wasn't about the election, what is the rush? Well, because he could become president and just... Exonerate himself? Well, that's the rules. That's not up to you. You have to do an investigation. So the documents case will be delayed, but the Georgia case won't. It looks like that'll be first. It's just so complicated with all these people who have not yet who have not flipped yet. And all these people that are still on trial. And then when they flip, there is attorneys. What are they going to say? This is the advice I gave him and he stuck with it. Are they going to say that well, I, he went against my advice? Well, then you're lying. Because Donald Trump doesn't come up with sophisticated uh, electors or any of this type of legal advice unless he has attorneys telling him to do that. All right. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Uh, find out how to join me in, uh, in Wichita, Kansas on Sunday and live events on Friday and Saturday. Friday, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Munn Hall to be specific. And on Saturday... Uh, Holland, Michigan. And I hear great things about Holland, Michigan, too. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country, around the world. Uh, of course, we've been around the country, around the world with Teddy and Booker T. Had uh, a long tour. It's coming to an end this weekend in Wichita, Kansas on Sunday. KQAM uh, will help me out there. and We'll hope to see all the listeners. I've never been to uh, Kansas for a book signing. I was there uh, on the military base, but I was never there for a book signing. So I look forward to that. 
And then we have two live shows, Fox Nation shows, Friday and Saturday, where you're going to get a special from Fox Nation. It's probably going to be a, a six months free on the membership, which is just awesome. As you get that app. Uh, or, and then you get a book with every ticket purchased. Uh, so we have a great night on stage. I'll be in Holland, Michigan on Saturday and on Friday in Mohol, uh, Pennsylvania. Think Pittsburgh. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Go back to August. Before any of the Republican debates happened, Donald Trump was in the low 50s. Four debates later, after having not attended any of those debates, he's in the high 50s. The other candidates all stuck there in either the low double digits or mired in the single digits. And that is ABC's Rick Klein. They can't figure it out either. 2024, more brutal pose for Biden as Nikki Haley trounces him by 17 and Donald Trump beats him by five. We look at Biden's game plan to come back. We'll talk about it. Number two. The president of Harvard asked point blank, is wanting to kill all the Jews in the world and chanting that against your code of conduct and she can't answer the question? Yeah, that's shocking. Yeah, it is shocking, Dave Portnoy of Barstool. Anti-Semitism on campuses exposed and ultra-left-wing practices in the college curriculum unmasked. This is the Zoom moment for higher education. We bring you in the line of fire. Number one. We have gone from one to 2,000 encounters, illegal encounters at the border a day. Now we're seeing 10 to 12,000 a day. As Pennsylvania's Senator uh, John Fetterman said, we're basically seeing Pittsburgh show up at the border every month. Holding the line, the GOP demanding the White House implement massive border reform and money before giving aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. As much as I support aid to all those three countries, I 100% agree with the GOP taking a hard line. Andrew McCarthy joins us now. Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for Southern District of New York and uh, author of Ball of Collusion. Andrew, first off, if uh, Andy, if you look at what's happening at the border, that to me is the most underreported outside our network, the most underreported catastrophe in my lifetime. We've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more, Brian. It, it, uh, Senator Romney's right about, you know, Pittsburgh showing up every month, but you know, if you look at the numbers in just the the time Biden has been in office, the number of illegal aliens who have been admitted to this country is bigger than every major city in the United States except New York, M- meaning including Los Angeles, which has a population of, uh, I think, close to 4 million. So, you know, and by the time Biden's finished, if this is an address, it'll it'll pass New York's population as well. It's not sustainable. And in terms of what you just said about it being the most uh, egregious problem, I have not for the life of me been able to understand why in their uh, impeachment inquiry and their investigation, especially into the into the Biden family stuff, which I absolutely support, the most important misconduct in the country is the is the collapse of border security under this president. Why that is not like the main thing that they're looking at uh, is beyond me. 1,569 criminal non-citizens. They're emptying their prisons, sending them up here. You know, you see these people, say Senegal, Mozambique, Morocco, let alone Venezuela. We're overwhelmed by Venezuela because that country is collapsing. And, 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 you know, Cubans, we don't know how the Chinese are getting here. It is just insane. And here's the crazy thing, Andy. Sometimes people's policies that I don't like are popular 
or 45% of the country like it. That means roughly maybe uh, the Democratic Party likes it or Republican Party likes it. But now only 27% of the country approve of his border policy. So who is he who is he trying to win over with this? Yeah, well, Brian, whenever you see that like 25, 27%, which we see in a lot of issues across the board where the Biden administration has policies that don't match up with what the rest of the country thinks, it's because that reflects the predilections and ideology of the activist progressive base, which is where, which is the loudest part and the most aggressive part of uh, the Democratic base. And also, unfortunately, uh, it's the part that has the money. Um, And as a result, he has a lot of policies across the board that reflect their sensibilities rather than the country's. And in this instance, it's very hard for Republicans, you know, in most in most issues of my lifetime and yours, we understand that people disagree on either side of the aisle and that the only way that you can have effective governance is when people come together and give. And, and yeah. that's how we you know, go on with this issue. It's impossible to do that because you have one side that ideologically believes America should not have borders. They have no reason to to. Compromise because they like this. They like what's happening. Um, so I don't know what you do about that other than you have to defeat them politically. Right. Uh, so let's talk about Hunter Biden. Uh, we're kind of shocked towards the end of last week. It turns out he gets uh, indicted for not paying one point something million dollars in taxes. Right. If some of these numbers are correct, that is way low. But they just cite some of the things in the 50 plus pages of the wild spending he had of an addict who uh, loves prostitutes and being irresponsible. Uh, you know, two hundred thirty-six thousand dollars in retail expenditures, health and beauty, two hundred thirty-seven thousand, tuition and education. Uh, you know, three hundred nine thousand. The money is coming in. Shell companies we can't define. We don't know what services he gave for the money he got. Pointed out by banks prior and listed in his book, clothing and accessories up to four hundred thousand dollars. Women costing six hundred eighty-three thousand dollars. Why do you think this came down now? And and how much trouble is this guy in? Well, he's in personally. He's in. Uh, if he didn't have uh, a father who has the pardon power to exercise under the Constitution, he'd be in a heap of trouble. He's got a he's got an escape hatch that wouldn't be available to the rest of us. I think it's happening now because the Republicans are um, ramping up the or trying to ramp up the impeachment inquiry investigation. Hunter is scheduled for a deposition this week. I actually don't think that they needed to indict this in order for Hunter could avoid testifying um, because he was under investigation and he's already under indictment for the gun case. So even if this didn't happen, he'd have a valid basis to, to, to take the fifth. He doesn't want to say that. Uh, he wants everybody to think he's not going to testify because the evil Republicans want yeah. to do it behind closed doors. But in point of fact, he's not going to testify because he's got Fifth Amendment privilege and anything he says could be used against him in these prosecutions. I, I think that this indictment uh, comes at a time when you know his deposition was scheduled, gives him an additional reason uh to not testify. And I must say, as someone who I don't like the Bidens and I don't like uh, uh, Hunter, but 
you know, as a, just as a lawyer and an American, I don't like the idea of Congress giving a subpoena to somebody who's under two criminal indictments. I mean, I wouldn't expect a person to testify under those circumstances. Here's Abby Lola's attorney, Cut 33. I don't know why we're at the point of a plea agreement, but let's start there. There was a plea agreement. There was a diversion agreement. It came as a result of a five-year painstaking thorough investigation. It was agreed upon behind the, between the parties, and it was something the U.S. attorney believed in. He's the one who reneged. He's the one who took it back. So the question about whether there should be a non-litigated resolution, you might want to ask him, not us. It is very clear that he's not interested in any resolution because last time he did the right thing, all he got was grief and pressure from the Republicans. And he has made the decision, obviously, that he doesn't want to withstand that again. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I just think that's laughable. I mean, the, the painstaking part of the investigation was done by the agents who were very frustrated by the fact that the prosecutor wouldn't move on the case and dragged his feet until the statute of limitations ran on the most egregious behavior, which, by the way, happens to be the behavior while Joe Biden was vice president, right? It's 2014, 15, and 16 that uh, Weiss allowed the statute of limitations to run on. If this guy's name was anything other than Biden, he would have been indicted in 2019 on tax, uh, uh, gun, and other charges, including, you know, potentially bribery and money laundering and failure to register uh, as a foreign agent. He was not charged in the normal course, not because not charging was the right thing, but because his last name was Biden. And he happened to get a prosecutor who didn't do his job. And obviously because the Biden Justice Department didn't want the Biden family investigated and didn't want the president's son prosecuted. So. When it comes down to the bigger picture, this guy is uh, obviously you got to pay taxes. He was wild about it. He was so irresponsible about it. We don't know anything uh, where all these multi-million dollar deals were. We still haven't made out, uh, haven't figured out where they came from. But I'm amazed that guys like Mitt Romney, that are just flat out lazy, to say something like this about what he found about the investigation, where he's very critical. They're all critical of Hunter. But they're not critical of how what their dad, what the dad had anything to do with. So here's a, here's a Mitt Romney talking, talking about it. Have you seen any evidence that President Biden has committed high crimes and misdemeanors? No, I, I, I don't uh, see any evidence of that at all. Uh, I think before you begin an impeachment inquiry, you ought to have some evidence, some inclination uh, that there's been wrongdoing. And so far, there's nothing of that nature that's been provided. Is, is that how you see it? I think Romney is incoherent on this. Uh, and it's he made no effort to find it, out. I mean, he made no effort. Well, but not only. Yeah, but Brian, this is the guy who voted. I think he was the only Republican who voted for the Ukraine impeachment, where there was yeah. even the Democrats admitted in their Ukraine article of impeachment that there was no criminal behavior. They called that abuse of power. And Romney voted for it. Now, that's on the one hand, and that's because he's Trump deranged, right? On the other hand, I could absolutely see somebody coming out and saying they haven't established a case against Biden to this point. Um, that's that's a fair assessment. You know, there's smoke, but they have to prove fire. But to say there's no evidence, like no evidence, are you kidding? Um, 
You know, so $24 million comes into the Biden family coffers in five years, including probably in excess of $10 million from the Communist Chinese Party and the agents of its regime. You can show that the Chinese got several benefits out of dealing at a time at, at the relationship with Biden, including being able to obtain during the Obama Biden administration dual use technology that helped them vibration technology that w that had military applications that they were able to get on the basis of a partnership that the that these Chinese agents had with the with the Bidens um, to, to say that that could happen. And there's no evidence whatsoever of wrongdoing under circumstances where there's no evidence that any asset went to these corrupt and anti-American regimes other than access to Joe Biden's political influence is laughable. I thought so, too. I mean, people say the investigation has not been thorough. Where's the proof? Listen, you have him appearing, whether he's calling in or actually physically at all these business meetings, one-on-one -on -one with Tony Bobulinski, who swore in, to the FBI about the intricacies of the business dealings. You saw all these shell companies set up. You see the money pouring in and out of the Biden family. You see him flying yeah. around to Mexico using Air Force Two as his corporate jet, going back and forth. These are all These are all things that make you follow the investigation. We'll say, well, there's no proof. I see it everywhere. They did. They have not yeah. found a picture of him getting a check from Hunter. Maybe they have. I don't even know. They're not done yet. But what difference? What difference does it make though if he got a check from Hunter or not? Under the IRS rules, if I generate income, you know, you you want to pay because of something I've done, and I say to you, you know, I don't need it. Pay my son. That's still a benefit to me. They consider that in federal law. They consider that to be income to me, whether you you know actually pay me the income or not. So this whole idea of you know how much money actually went into Joe Biden's hot little hands, when the when the point here is that there could have been no influence peddling business without Biden because he was the guy with the influence. And he could have shut this down in five minutes if he wanted to. Instead, he let it go on for years and years and years uh, to the great enrichment of his family. I, I just think this whole business of, like, did a nickel go into Joe Biden's own account is foolish because Joe Biden is the business. That's the way to look at this thing. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, all right, we'll come back with your calls and your comments. BrianKillMe.com. You can click BrianKillMe.com. Yeah, BrianKillMe.com. Just click on comments. And then Byron New York at the bottom of the hour will break this down even further. You're listening to The Brian Kilme Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We can't make strategic decisions based on stark morality tales. We have to figure out what is in America's best interest. We have a food crisis that's getting worse because of the prolonged war in Eastern Europe. We have an energy crisis that's threatening to swamp multiple allied governments in Western Europe. What's in America's best interest is to accept Ukraine is going to have to cede some territory to the Russians, and we need to bring this war to a close. But when I think about the great human tragedy here, hundreds of thousands of Eastern Europeans Innocent have been killed in this conflict. The thing that's in our interest and in theirs is to stop the killing. What are you talking about? I mean, J.D. Vance made a lot of sense yesterday in his interview with Jake Tapper, but I do not get where he's coming from with this. 
It is, this is his approach as well, enough killing. One side invaded another side. It wasn't let's go Iraq-Iran war. Iraq started, by the way. Iran ended up fighting better. This country in first takes Crimea, then takes the Donbass region, and then goes for the capital. Through pure valor and courage, they have pushed the Russians back and our weapons and the adaptability of the battlefield and the Russians' ineptness and lack of conviction in fighting. And they get through two fighting seasons, and now they're going through their second winter season. And now there's been enough killing, J.D. Vance says, over in Ohio, so let's just bring this to an end. Excuse me? What do you mean bring this to an end? It's not your sanctity. It's not your sovereignty that you're fighting for. You think the Russians aren't going to come back for the rest of it? And for those who say, well, the Russians are having trouble in Ukraine, they're not going to fight anybody else. They don't necessarily have to confront. They learned a ton from their ineptness in Ukraine. In Moldova, they're coming in by affecting the electoral process. In Georgia, they actually took a piece of the country, and now they're paying off politicians and taking over the politics of it. Lithuania says within three years they expect to be invaded. We'd be uh, treaty obligated to fight for them. Finland says that their border had to be shut down because the Russians were flooding some uh, Middle Easterners into their country. So this is nonstop. And if you show any weakness... It only invites more attacks. I'm not saying don't enforce our border. You have the perfect mix now. But to say that Ukraine, well, we have to do a better accounting of their money and they're corrupt. No, there's some people that are corrupt and there's some people that are corrupt here, too. I think you know who they are. Byron York next. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't think Donald Trump would want to stay in longer than four years. And the reason I say that is because I I think he's running for retribution. And I think he will finish his retribution after four years if he's elected. Uh, I don't think he particularly likes being around the White House. I think he'd rather uh, be back at Mar-a-Lago or other properties of his. Uh, But he wants to show that he's not a loser. He won. Uh, and he wants to go after the people who were tough on him. So I, I think he'll be finished after four years and go back to uh, uh, other occupations. That is Mitt Romney giving speculation on the ridiculousness of Donald Trump refusing to leave office. You really think he's going to want to go uh, stay another four years? No, I think he'd, he'd be done. No one's staying. You know, it's impossible. But that's what they want to say. It's not Donald Trump. I don't like his border policy. You know, I didn't like the way he was so tough with NATO. Those trade deals, I thought they were bad trade deals. I don't. I didn't like uh, whatever you want. You didn't like with China. Pick up. Pick a policy. You don't like his tax plan. No, no. He is a fascist. He's going to be a brutal dictator, and he's not going to leave office. Democracy is over. Will that fly? It doesn't seem to be flying at all. And they've been saying it now for a quick month. Donald Trump has won the last six straight polls head to head with Joe Biden. And the last two and yesterday's CNN poll, which is really disturbing if you're a Democrat, has him losing by 10 in Michigan and about five in Georgia. Byron York, chief political correspondent with the Washington Examiner, Fox News contributor. Uh, Byron, some of these irrational descriptions of what Donald Trump will do if he's in office, I don't think they're resonating. Do you? <laughs> no, and the, I mean the big thing is they're getting a little ahead ahead of the game, don't you think? Um, uh, we haven't had the Iowa caucuses yet, and there's this discussion about whether Trump would leave office if elected president. And by the way, he would be you know constitutionally required yes. to leave office, barred from serving uh, a third term. 
Uh, and you have to remember that after uh, all of his noise and protests and everything, on January the 20th, 2021, he left office. Um, I mean, it, it, there wasn't a choice. I mean, he was no longer the president. As, you know, as of January 20, 2021, Donald Trump was no longer the president. So he got on the plane and went, went to Florida. So um, I think if Trump were to be elected and if he, you know, if he served to the end of his term in 2029, I think he would leave office. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Byron, how do you explain Nikki Haley winning by 17 against Biden but trailing by about 20 to Trump? Well, it, well, one is uh, a general election uh, poll, the her leading, and the other is um, a Republican primary poll. And clearly, I mean, we've just seen this new poll from – Iowa, which is the first voting of the of the season, uh, where Trump has extended his lead in the Des Moines Register poll since October, uh, and it's you know he's leading by I think 27 in the last one. He's leading by 32 points uh, in this new poll. So his his support among Republicans seems extremely solid, but there's no doubt that a lot of people in the general electorate don't like Donald Trump. I mean, there's some enormous number who said they would never, ever vote for Trump uh, under any circumstances. So I think that's why you see uh, people who want to express their unhappiness with the job Joe Biden has done, um, telling pollsters that, yeah, I would vote for Nikki Haley over Joe Biden, but I wouldn't vote for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. Do you think that is dissipating at all? You think that's the number d- d- dipping that will, will won't vote for Trump? I think it. You know, it could be. And the reason I say that is that you there have been a number of polls that basically asked. They they, they use various wordings for the question, but they basically, basically are saying, "Were you better off, you know, four years ago when Trump was president than you are now when Biden is president?" And a lot of people say yes. Um, and that uh, that question is coming back more and more, and more and more people are saying, well, yeah, I was better off. I mean, the Wall Street Journal today published uh, a chart about the median price of buying a median home, the monthly price of buying a median home today, and it's just huge compared to what it was just a very few years ago when Trump was president. So um, it may actually be dissipating, which is why you're going to see the 2024 general election campaign, if it is Joe Biden versus Trump, we don't know. But if it is, I think you're going to see just a lot of uh, uh, Democratic stress on the threat of MAGA, the threat to our democracy, the threat represented by Donald Trump. I mean, they're, they're not going to say, you know, Trump will put in place new tariffs. They're not going to talk about that kind of stuff. They're just going to get down to the basics and say, Donald Trump is going to destroy this country. Hunter, you you wrote about Hunter Biden and the indictment, a total vindication for the whistleblowers. No doubt about it. Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, uh, your your thoughts about where they go from here. Obviously, the indictment is damning. You have Democrats all saying they're on the same page. Uh, Hunter Biden did unsavory things. He's uh, but he's Hunter Biden, not Joe Biden. Well, yeah, first of all, Totally right about the vindication. Um, the The indictment of Hunter Biden really closely tracks the testimony of the two IRS whistleblowers. And remember, Democrats tried to discredit those two whistleblowers, and now there's this indictment from the Biden Justice Department that closely tracks what they were saying. So they were right all along. Um, now, you know, uh, 
the the fact is the the Justice Department in indicting Hunter Biden and House Republicans in wanting to impeach Joe Biden are operating on completely different paths. I mean, the Justice Department is going to prosecute, unless there's some bargain or something, is going to prosecute Hunter Biden, and they are going to stay a million miles away from Joe Biden. There's no way they're going to get anywhere close to anything that touches Joe Biden. Uh, on the other hand, the Republicans are still trying to prove this link showing that uh, Joe Biden knew, not only knew about but profited from his son's shady foreign business dealings. So uh, these are just two absolutely different track uh, things. So what, they, what James Comer is pursuing is to find out the, the, where these uh, shell companies emanate from, where all this yeah. money went, what kind of services did they provide, what, did, what money went into Joe, and try to get somebody to answer his subpoenas. They're also going to get Eric Sherwin, who handled the finances for the family. Uh, looks like he's on the outs with the family, so might you get some candor from him. Devin Archer has said some things, and we know, foolishly, Hunter Biden put a lot of this stuff in his book. But about James Comer, they'd endlessly mock him, and I just don't see why. Here's Jonathan K. Part of MSNBC, Cut 32. My colleague at the Washington Post, Dana Milbank, uh, had a, a, an interesting and very well done piece comparing the impeachment uh, managers to the Three Stooges. And it reads in part, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan is mo thundering and blundering in his repeated failures to prove Biden's weaponization of the government. Jason Smith, the in-over-his-head chairman of Ways and Means, is Larry, brainlessly reciting whatever script is in front of him. And Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer is curly, perpetually getting a pie in the face when the evidence he produces is immediately debunked. You really think they're going to be able to hold on to this mocking approach? Yeah, I think they are. Um, I saw an interview on uh, on uh, CNN the other day. Comer himself was actually interviewed. And the, uh, the snark level in the interview was just off the scale. Um, and so, yeah, they, they don't want to take this seriously. Um, they don't want to uh, even uh, concede that Comer has found a lot of evidence. Now, I think you could think, if you're a Republican, you could think that maybe someday this will come to impeaching Joe Biden. But right now is too early. We don't really have this nailed down yet. I think that's a really reasonable point of view. I kind of agree with it uh, in the House. On the other hand, there's no doubt that Comer has gotten more and more evidence getting closer and closer to Joe Biden. And if that continues, then it's going to be a huge problem for Biden. But right, uh, right now, he has Biden has a lot of defenders in the press who are mocking and attacking uh, James Comer every day. But for a while, they were mocking the Hunter investigation, and now they go, well, bad guy. Okay, bad guy. No, no link to Joe. All right, we'll see. And then Not Joe, at all. Yeah. never met the guy. Yeah. And then Tony Bobulinski, I just saw that he, he was told that basically that he never met any of his business partners. Tony Bobulinski says, you really? Uh, sue me. Go ahead. Uh, just like Hunter Biden has threatened to sue Bobulinski, please sue me. And a decorated intelligence officer who was recruited by the Biden family to run the international business, uh, the international business programs. And then when he realized how bad it was, he bowed out. So the, this is Chris Murphy acknowledging Hunter has issues. He's a senator from Connecticut. Cut 37. 
I think it's legally justified. I think this is a very troubled individual who has uh, who, who has uh, done things that are worthy of prosecution. And so I look forward to that case continuing. I think ultimately the American people understand that Hunter Biden is not going to be on the ballot next uh, fall, that Joe Biden is going to be on the ballot, and that this is a president who has led an economic recovery that has been pretty unprecedented. That's, I think, going to be what matters to the American people. It doesn't matter right now because only 27 percent of the country give him high marks for our economy. Your yeah. thoughts on this? Well, remember the very first day uh, after Republicans had taken the majority in the House, James Comer announced his investigation. The very first day he said, this is not a Hunter Biden investigation. It is a Joe Biden investigation. Uh, and that's the point that they have never you know, been able um, to, to get anyone on the other side to accept. For obvious reasons, I mean, Democrats are protecting the president of their party. That's just the way it works. Um, so I, I do think they're just uh, Comer and and the others are are just going to need more evidence linking this to Joe Biden. Not to not to the fact that Joe Biden knew about what mm-hmm. was going on. I think it's I think they've established that very clearly now. But it's the profiting part. Okay, well he got this amount of money. Was he really paying back a loan, or was he making a loan, or to his brother or his son, or what was going? Was he making a car payment for his son? What was going on here? I think they're just going to need more evidence to where uh, even the skeptic would say, you know, this looks pretty convincing. Joe Biden did profit off Hunter's influence peddling business. Yeah, we'll see. I got to ask you real quick about Ukraine. Senator J.D. Vance uh, weighed in about the fact that Vladimir Putin uh, needs to be stopped or else he's going to spread his uh, evil around Eastern Europe. Cut to. Really, all we're doing is putting out the welcome mat for him to then invade a country that is in the NATO alliance, such as Poland. So there's two reasons I don't buy this. First of all, Putin has showed he's much weaker than a lot of people feared. The Ukrainians have fought bravely. They've also stalled Putin at a very small amount of territorial gain relative to the entire country. The idea that he can march to Poland or Berlin is preposterous. And the other thing that this really misses here is we have to remember our NATO allies, with the exception of a few Eastern Europeans, are not carrying their fair share of the burden. Most of them don't even spend 2% of their GDP on defense. If Putin is a threat to Berlin, that means the Germans should be changing something about their defense policy. It doesn't mean we can write indefinite checks to Ukraine. I don't think we're talking Berlin. We're talking about the Baltic nations. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about finishing off Georgia and then starting to look to Belarus to just officially annex it and, and portions of Ukraine. And then five years from now, they go to get more and they learn from their mistakes. I'm surprised J.D. Vance, who's such a smart guy, Ivy League grad, wouldn't have more of a perspective. Are you? Uh, not really. I think there's a significant number of Republicans uh, who don't feel uh, that the Ukraine uh, war is worth further high levels of U.S. support. Um, we put in, you know, because Vance says, well, the $61 billion that, that Biden is asking for, what's it going to do that the first $113 billion didn't do? Uh, now, one thing I think that perhaps works in their favor, but is just appalling in in any uh, sense. The Wall Street Journal did a new story today, headline: "Alarm grows over weakened militaries and empty arsenals in Europe." And I'm going to read to you the first couple of paragraphs. The British military, which is the U.S. leading military ally, Europe's biggest defense spender, has only around 150 deployable tanks and perhaps a dozen serviceable long-range artillery pieces. The next biggest spender, France, has fewer than 90 heavy artillery pieces, equivalent to what Russia loses 
every month on the Ukrainian battlefield. Denmark has no heavy artillery, submarines, or air defense systems. Germany's army has enough ammunition for two days of battle. Our European allies have just completely disarmed themselves. It took a generation to do this. I mean, this, they didn't do this yesterday. Um, it, it has completely disarmed themselves. So now when you do have uh, a war in Ukraine, when you have Putin invading Ukraine, you have the United States as the only force, only force capable of standing up to it. And we have depleted, seriously, our readiness in, in some areas like artillery shells, anti-tank missiles, things like that. So, uh, you know, I can see the unhappiness of the uh, of the Republicans on this. On the other hand, it's just a dilemma what to do next. Yeah, I just think, number one, you just get them what they need to be successful. I thought Mark Thiessen put a great feature together talking about the money that stays in our country uh, as we modernize our force. And there's got to be a big push. And this is what these NATO's meetings get together. What do they all, What do they do? Just slap each other's back, sit down and say, Lithuania, what are you going to need? What's your budget? I'm going to see what we can work out, some type of payment plan. You write checks for this in Finland and Sweden. They are ready to go. Poland is is exceeding the 2%. The smaller nations aren't. But this is a wake-up call all around. But percentage, they are actually kicking in, the European Union is, as much as us per capita uh, for Ukraine. And we just can't let Russia off the mat right now. I think it would be a huge mistake. I think it would be sending another weak message around the world. Well, a number of, of observers believe that uh, Russia has Ukraine on the mat at the moment. Basically, there was a, 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 a big Washington Post series, I guess, I think it was last week, uh, why the counteroffensive failed. Uh, I thought there was something quite interesting, which is there was finger pointing U.S. military officials pointing the finger at Ukrainian officials for not following U.S. Uh, tactical advice in the uh, in this counteroffensive. And there just seems to be a growing number of people who said, look, Ukraine is not going to win this thing. This is going to have to be negotiated, and it's going to be negotiated in a way in which Ukraine loses some territory. Uh, and if you if, the, if they want to go back to what they call 1991 borders, that is the whole Ukraine, including Crimea, this is not going to happen. So there is, a, I think, a growing uh, feeling about that in in among amongst the United States government and other Western yeah. governments. And the question is, if that's the feeling, then what do you do next? Byron York, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President of the University of Pennsylvania has resigned after appearing to dodge questions about genocide during a congressional hearing on campus anti-Semitism. She will be replaced by literally anyone who knows you say genocide is bad. <laughs> the whole crazy part is that the whole point during her speech was that free speech on campus should never be punished. And then she was immediately punished for her speech. Yeah, that was a little of the give and take, give and take with the... Big. There was so much going on last week. He could. They could have went anywhere. SNL's cold open was uh, embarrassing. Obviously, the uh, there were some parts in the news report that were good. And Keenan Thompson's uh, looking at the University of Phoenix was hysterical. Uh, just a quick reminder before we go for this hour, uh, Teddy. Uh, <laughs> Teddy and Booker T is now out. A few more weeks you can get it before the holidays. And thanks to everybody who came out in Ohio and Kentucky and in Charlotte. 
this Friday night, I'll be in Munn Hall, Pennsylvania, 830 Carnegie Homestead Music Hall, talking about all my books on stage. It's going to be America Great from the Start. The 16th, the next night, Holland, Michigan, the Holland Civic Center. Heard great things about it. Holland's selling extremely well. Wichita, Kansas on Sunday. KQAM listeners hope to see you all in person. That'll have a 1 o'clock start in Joliet, Illinois, January 21st. So hope to see everybody there. Uh, BrianKillMe.com. Also, if you want it autographed and sent to your house, it'll go to my local bookstore and out to you. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.